This is the weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, your hosts, Drew Dawkin and Grant Collins, will have an in-depth conversation about what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, we are recording March 10th at the end of the market on Tuesday. Uh, we cut back a lot of our losses um, from Monday. Um, not all, but Dow Jones was up 1,167.14 points. Uh, so it ended the day at 25,018.16. So that was up 4.89%. The S&P was up uh, 135.67 points, ending the day at 2,882.23. Uh, so it ended the day up 4.94%. Volatility dropped uh, 13.15% today, ending at 47.30. And crude was up as well, uh, a little over, or Brent was up a little over 10.45% as well. Um, so why was the market up today? Ultimately, two things. Uh, I think the first being that oil, uh, we got a little bit more clarity there. On Monday, what happened was there was a steep sell-off in part because of increased tensions between Saudi Arabia and Russia escalated, largely due to the following of a breakdown of talks between OPEC and its allies in their OPEC uh, convention in Vienna. So, I mean, what happened on Friday to lead up to this was that an OPEC ally, Russia, they rejected an additional $1.5 million per barrel production cut um, that, you know, everyone else in OPEC had proposed. Um, so that ultimately led to, you know, Saudi Arabia slashing official oil prices and kind of a tit for tat retaliation between the Russians and the Saudis there. Um, Alexander Novak, who is the energy uh, secretary of uh, Russia, kind of, um, you know, spoke that, you know, there might be some talks and try to qualm fears on that front. Additionally, uh, Don, uh, President Donald Trump uh, spoke about how we might be cutting payroll taxes to 0%. And uh, he talked a little bit about some of the preliminary things the government might do to provide fiscal stimulus and to kind of control the virus. So I think those two things move the market up. Uh, Grant, what, what are your thoughts on the crazy first couple days we've had this week? I think the volatility is here to stay. I think it's going to be choppy trading the next couple months with some uh, good days and followed by some bad days. Uh, I, I think oil definitely is, is one piece, we, as you touched on, that we saw that the Russians maybe were trying to retaliate against tariffs that the U.S. or, or sanctions that the tariff had, had applied to Russian oil. So they may try to hit back against that, and that may have caused some of the oil price war between the Saudis and, and Russia. Uh, I also think that the White House is signaling that they are taking the coronavirus very seriously. We saw the, the White House administration meet with some of the bank executives with J.P. Morgan, B of A, Goldman Sachs, as well as Morgan Stanley. Uh, I, I think that that was a positive sign, as well as Trump talking about, President Trump talking about payroll, tax cuts, as well as legislation to protect hourly workers who may miss work because they uh, fall ill. Uh, we're also seeing that the Fed plans on, on giving banks some leeway to protect uh, affected 
banks as well as or who have consumers who, who fall ill and are not being able to get the payments. Uh, overall, I think the choppiness is, is here to stay because there really is. This is a financial crisis where we don't really have an end in sight as there is still testing kit shortages as well as not fully uh, hitting, the, hitting the U.S. or having all the known cases. So I think that the volatility is here to stay. I think we should be on the lookout for government officials discussing one potential solutions in terms of whether that is paying for sick leave or um, creating social distancing. You know, there's a variety of tools they'll use to combat the coronavirus. But I think on a broad macro economy, this op- this creates an opportunity uh, to do a couple interesting things. Um, I know some senders have talked about with yields being this low, this would be a great time to really have an infrastructure deal that we've been talking about uh, or that President Trump actually ran on pretty hard in his first term. Um, with rates as low as they are, uh, this this is probably could be one of one of the better times to, you know, spend one, two trillion dollars on really revitalizing our uh, aging and decrepit infrastructure in this country. Well, it would boost activity. So if, if we're thinking about the lost activity over this month and the, in the coming months, an infrastructure bill may may actually help increase the lost activity. I also think a big one that we're going to need to look at is leveraged loans. Uh, if if the lenders uh, are not able to collect because of decreased activity, then you know that's a 1.2 trillion dollar market of cash flow problems for with the, in the leveraged loan market. So if that comes under pressure, then we could see bank balance sheets also come under pressure. I also wouldn't be surprised, uh, President Trump has alluded to this, but if we look at ways to refinance the uh, astronomical amount of debt we have currently, with yields being this low, uh, whether we can get it for, you know, um, obviously way lower interest rates and at longer durations. Um, Now, there's a lot of arguments on the feasibility of that um, and whether ultimately the process of refinancing such a large amount of debt would make us uh, downgraded as a creditor, just leading to higher interest rates um, at the end of the day anyway. But uh, that might be an interesting solution. Um, and it might be an interesting time to to kind of act on the market volatility, the, uh, the volatility that the coronavirus has created and, and use such low yields to our to our advantage. But Right. But also rates have historically been lower now than, than they have historically. So it, it may be the right time, but it's also historically been been the lowest rate. So it's been on the table for, I think, a, a longer t- longer period of time. Oh, yeah, it certainly has been, but it but we're sub one now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of the developed world is negative. So I, I do think this is kind of a, a point of reference that is different than us fluctuating from one eight to one three, perhaps. Right. Um, with, with that, like, there's a lot of sector risk, of course, associated with uh, the coronavirus. Airlines in particular have been really hit. I mean, we've canceled up to, you know, more than 200,000 flights, um, mostly a lot of them, them to and from China. But, of course, it's spread very global now. And then you're seeing, you're seeing flights being canceled all across the board in other places, too. Um, and this is at a time where over the last decade— We've really seen air travel demand that's been growing at twice the pace of the global economy. So air travel is uh, has always been kind of a shining star 
and has increased, um, but but it's really starting to take a hit. I think carriers are, are, are doing what they can, waiving change and cancellation fees. I think that's good. But I think overall, U.S. domestic demand, uh, what has been, as is, is you signaled, the strong revenue sources is, is now really up in the air, especially if we think about heading into the spring and, and summer travel, which is usually a higher demand seasons for airlines. We saw American Airlines shares drop over 7%. As well as as Delta following and uh, and United, but uh, we saw that Italy is now shutting its borders, so there's flights to Europe now are starting to be canceled. Overall, I think that there is a, is a decrease decrease in uh, in travel. We saw a lot of uh, companies such as Salesforce and Mass Mutual, as as well as other companies, restricting travel for only essential business travel. So that's something to look at as well. Yeah, South by Southwest was a big cancellation as well. Yeah, uh, music festivals. We're seeing that uh, that sports games are being played without fans. So I mean, it's really all a lot of the big situations where there are large groups. We're seeing a lot of cancellations. If that's advisor conferences or just regular uh, sales conferences, you know, they, they're being canceled. So I think that there's just going to be a an overall decrease in, in consumer spending as well as airlines. Yeah, I mean, when you look at you know the fundamentals and broad indexes. Uh, the NY, uh, New York Stock Exchange got the uh, ARCA airline index. That one tracks 16 carriers uh, across North America, Latin America, and it also includes uh, the Irish, you know, budget airline Ryanair. That's down 20 percent this week, which is the largest since October of 2008. Deutsche Bank uh, recently downgraded American, Alaska, Delta, Spirit, JetBlue, and United uh, from what was buy to a hold. And uh, lastly, you know, the International Air Transport Associations really kind of put out some strong warnings that air travel demand is going to fall for the first time in the decade and uh, projecting a $29 billion loss in revenue. So big and, numbers. And it's a pretty horrible time considering if we think about the difficult year after the Boeing 737 MAX and how that has impacted carriers having to shift towards Airbus. Uh, so it's just, it's just one thing after another for airlines. And I think it, think you're absolutely right. Demand's going to continue to drop. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, right now we've seen a lot of things. Um, you know, we have Congress fiscal stimulus. We've got Federal Reserve's easing. Um, you know, ultimately, the government spending is probably going to be a more important variable in combating the virus uh, and calming investors. Uh, I mean, ultimately, this, any Fed stimulus uh, is not going to, you know, broke uh, fix any of the broken supply lines or, you know, really make people more optimistic or less fearful about the disease. So a lot of this is going to have to come from, you know, government spending to to help accommodate these uh, financial uh, conditions. Uh, we've already seen that, you know, the White House agreed to that $8.3 billion emergency funding to address this. Um, but let's, let's, I mean, I guess take it broad picture and uh, talk about what governments across the world can do and what some have already started to do. Well, I think we got to start just in in the U.S. here. We saw the 50 basis point cut the Fed uh, did last week. They're also meeting next week, and some are anticipating another cut there. But if we think about where we are with historical rates as being so low that uh, since the U.S. economy may be already been slowing and businesses aren't going to borrow for big expenditures right now, uh, an, an additional Fed cut, emergency cut, really isn't going to, to have as big as impact as 
as it would, which is why I think that the government spending will be more important. So spending on vaccine research or uh, increasing the the number of test kits or or medical masks or other equipment, I think that that's going to have a a bigger impact. I think that the $8.3 fiscal package is is a good start, but I think it's going to be a lot more, which is why they're they're talking about the, the temporary tax cut as well as the being lenient on on loans if if academic or economic activity really starts to slow. Uh, overall, I think it's going to have to be government spending because we're, as you just mentioned, rates for right now are already so historically low. There's not really any room built in for them to really increase uh, activity. Yeah, I think the big thing is to find a way to pay for sick leave. Uh, you have about a quarter of the working population in this country who uh, doesn't have access to sick leave, um, and and you know, in add, add to that, the the millions of people who don't have uh, health insurance, uh, and you know, you add to the fact that a, a good you know portion of the country can't afford a five hundred dollar emergency. So you've got a combination of uh, huge disparities in terms of disposable income, um, combined with uh, like institutional. We just don't have a as. Uh, beefy as a safety net as most of the other worlds. So this is where uh, that might be a competitive business edge. But when it happens in pandemics, that can really that can be a cause of alarm, make us respond more slowly. So we really have to change our structures, at least in the time being to to provide for where the system would fail in this case, I think. Absolutely. So the fiscal fiscal stimulus could help get employees back to work quicker, which would help with activity. Also, better preventative measures for for public. So that's why we're seeing a lot of these cancellations and and everything happen there. And then also, if you think about a vaccine and preventive, if if we're able to have a large population not get sick, that that would drastically help the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think you really just have to be aggressive. Um, I mean, early on, uh, I mean, China, you know, had something over, you know, uh, 40,000 doctors on the case in Hubei. Um, you know, the South Koreans were at one point testing 10,000 people a day. Um, so I, I do think a big part of this is nipping in the bud early and aggressive and um, ma- making sure it doesn't escalate to the point of something, you know, um, that looks like look that looks like anything like the Spanish flu or, or one of the larger pandemics we might have had in our history. Well, we've, we already saw the funding for the $8.3 billion. Uh, America does have some of the world's most advanced hospitals, but also it, it is fragmented and there is not as high capacity if, if there is hit really hard. Uh, so, so that may be where we're going to need additional stimulus from, from fiscal policy. Oh, we're almost running out of bed space prior when, when times are normal. Right. So um, things could get really hairy on that regard real quick. Um, but, but yes, we do have advanced hospitals and, uh, I know we've kind of, um, we've partnered with a couple private, you know, research companies to, to help provide a solution alongside the CDC as well. So we'll see what comes out of that. Um, a big, a big worry right now is, uh, price gouging. Um, now price gouging is an interesting topic. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, Amazon and other companies have been trying to fight it um, as people are trying to hoard supplies, you know, whether that's Purell or, or you know, wipes or, or 
toilet paper or preserved food or what have you. Um, but you know, um, it, it is, it is interesting price gouging, uh, eBay, some of that stuff had to be shut down. Um, and in some, you know, circumstances, there is kind of a libertine, libertine argument in terms of price gouging, but, but in, uh, pandemics, it's definitely a little bit different. I think yeah. so. I, I, some of the numbers here that, that we got, uh, from Yahoo Finance here are, and eight ounce or eight one ounce Purell bottles were going for ninety dollars, which usually go for thirteen. The three M masks are usually nineteen dollars. They spiked to a hundred and forty four dollars, and then the Lysol disinfecting wipes, which are usually twelve about twelve dollars, were were almost at one hundred and eighty. So I mean that is significant price gouging. I understand if the laws of supply and demand, but it comes to a point where if you are in an epidemic where basic goods should be should be supplies and, and not price gouged. Yeah, it does seem to me to be quite a bit different than um, selling generators after some kind of natural disaster, right? Or, or electrical shortage or, or whatever. Something along those lines where times are very hard, but people are really just trying to, are willing to pay for convenience of having their lights back on. Preparing uh, for the next yeah. one. Whereas right now we're still in it. We don't know when it's going to hit. I mean, here in Montana, we really haven't had our, our first case. Whereas if we think about if we were in Seattle, it, trying to get it, trying to get wipes and, and just disinfectant should be a, should be a pretty standardized good. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and you've seen, um, you've, you've seen, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and 95 face masks, you know, being priced, uh, but I, I do think there's going to be a little bit of a political push. I know um, Senator, you know, um, Ed Markey from Massachusetts kind of was in discussions with Jeff Bezos on, on ways to, you know, kind of combat some any kind of price gouging and also uh, trying to find ways for, you know, the third party sellers um, to kind of curb their their efforts in, in spiking prices as well. I guess one thing uh, I'd like to kind of transition to discussions on um, where we stand with 5G. Um, Grant, let's let's kind of like like how about you start and talking about you know where we are right now to the race of uh, 5G. A lot of the big discussions are that we don't have the competitive edge against the Chinese right now, um, and that's you know really going to be in some ways you know a, a new space race. So um, where do we stand? Uh, you know, what does 5G look like in the next coming years and, and kind of what are our thoughts on it? So we have 5G is live now in uh, 24 markets globally. Uh, and so really what it is, is it's 100 times faster than LTE or 4G, which is what, where we're seeing it today. Uh, in the U.S., uh, there, there are some markets that have the 5G. Uh, South Korea also is, is, on, the, is on 5G. Uh, by 2025, we're thinking it's looking like 20% of all global connections will be 5G, which is really big for, for big tech, as well as if we think about the development of AI, uh, this, this will make it faster for AI technologies to, uh, to work. Uh, we're, we're also seeing that Switzerland is a, is a huge place where this is happening, both private in the private sector and public sector. Uh, we're, we're seeing it in, 
and places where I wouldn't have originally thought, such as farming and agriculture, uh, but it is it is moving out throughout. Yeah, I think the Chinese have kind of, you know, early on right now, at least at this point, they've established themselves as, as leading. Um, in 2018 and the end of the year, the Chinese had already established large rates of interest in, you know, the 5G network slicing, uh, slicing um, you know, uh, edge computing, low latency servers, uh, you know, than the rest of the world. So um, the industry is is in a good spot there. Uh, one thing, obviously, is, you know, we're, we're, we're frustrated with the response of several European uh, countries to, to, to work with the Chinese and to work with Huawei. Um, you know, in, in February, uh, China had as much as 47 commercial contracts for 5G in Europe, um, more than in Asia. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of, lot of countries are open to working with it, Switzerland being a big one. Um, also, when you look at Switzerland, they're not part of the European Union, so they can really act, act and do their own thing. But, um, I mean, so, so that's going to be one thing to look at. I do think it is hard to rein in a lot of these countries because we've had uh, such, such, such worse relations with them over the past years, especially in regards to uh, trade and increased steel tariffs and everything else. Uh, we look at airlines, um, you know, we look at WTO as consistently trying to get us and Europeans together on um, a lot of tit-for-tat tariffs. So I think it's hard for them, for us to say, what are you doing in, in spite of all the escalations and, and everything that's happened over the last few years? Definitely. And we've seen the UK, France and Germany all looking to, to open the door to Huawei. We've also seen Italy, Croatia and Hungary, like Switzerland, have, have signed partnerships with Huawei. I, I think the big point that you made a couple podcasts ago is, is what is the alternative then? I, I mean, we, there isn't a clear alternative who is a powerhouse in the in this space like Huawei. So I think we're going to continue to see it. I mean, uh, the Europe's largest port, Port of Rotterdam, uh, has been testing the technology since 2018, as well as uh, through one of their larger telecom operators. So we're seeing more and more European uh, telecom operators really starting to to partner with Huawei, and I think it may be uh, too far down the line for for them to make a switch now. I just think overall you're seeing a lot of strains on rules-based globalization that we have seen in the past. Uh, this could be we can start with, you know, leaving the Trans-Pacific uh, Pacific Partnership. We can talk about the United Kingdom leaving the European Union. Uh, we can talk about strains on the you know North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So a lot of international entities that we created and cultivated throughout the 20th century, um, there is a move back to sovereignty and there is a move to kind of breaking up the teamwork and there's a move to countries doing their own thing. So it's very hard to keep countries you know together in line when it comes to things like this, whether they're talking about 5G or f- almost anything else for that matter. Right, 5G or, or steel, as you mentioned, any a lot of the, the old trading relationships are now being thrown out the window as we think about even in just the last two or three years. Yeah, um, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned it early on, but if I if I didn't, uh, we won't be on uh, this coming week. Um, but I'd like to last couple minutes, Grant. What, what are you looking at? What are you thinking? Um, and, and we'll get back to you the week after next. 
two things that I'm looking at. One is Robinhood stock trading platform crashed yesterday again, but also crashed a couple times last week. So wondering if uh, due to the high trading volume with all this volatility, uh, what happens there if they continue to crash? I think we're going to see a lot of investors really start to pull money off that site. It has been positioned to a lot of younger investors as a free trade uh, platform where you, where you can learn uh, investing. Another one that I'm looking at is uh, is we've seen uh, Wells is going to Wells Fargo is going to interview again with with the Senate committee, uh, and we just saw that Betsy Duke, the chairwoman, has resigned. So see uh, see what happens there because what was one of the the top banks in America and where I where I started in the financial financial sector, uh, see if they're able to finally get out of their own way. Um, today is kind of Super Tuesday round two. A lot of big states: uh, Missouri, Washington, Michigan. Uh, so we'll see if, you know, Joe Biden has the opportunity to clinch this thing, um, or, or, you know, this could be a little bit more protracted, but, but he's the, he's the clear winner right now tonight. And, um, you know, going into the, uh, convention. So, uh, on a political realm, we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, I know after the initial super Tuesday, a lot of people are alluding to the fact that markets got a little bit of boost because, uh, Joe Biden, was seen as the safer uh, candidate than, than Sanders. So um, interesting to look at how it will, you know, ramifications on the markets and, and just the political climate in general. Um, and then, I mean, that's that's really the big thing. I, I know we've been inundated with the coronavirus. Uh, you know, it used to be we were talking about the phase one trade deal, and now we're into this other stage where um, this is clearly dominated the news cycle. So um, you can't miss it. Yeah, anything, anything, you know, regarding, um, you know, containment or anything regarding to a potential cure or or whether this it spreads uh, will definitely be something to to look at as well. Um, with that, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, like and subscribe. Um, we won't be here next week, but we'll be back on the following week, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.